Hello, and welcome to Digital Marketing Musings, hosted by Merkle. Each episode, we choose a different expert to discuss the latest and greatest in digital marketing. Today, we're sitting down with Jen Horner to talk about Q4 holiday trends this year. I'm Gaia Reed. And I'm Andrew McCartney. And this is Digital Marketing Musings. Thanks for tuning in to Digital Marketing Musings. Today, we're talking to Jen Horner, who's going to give us a rundown on holiday trends to keep in mind for the season. Jen Horner is an Associate Director of Retail and Consumer Goods at DEG, where she works with brands like Gap, PepsiCo, Party City, The Salvation Army, uh, to acquire, understand, and activate consumer data to create remarkable one-to-one customer experiences. Welcome to our show, Jen. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. We're really excited to have you here, especially with uh, holiday coming up. And after all the crazy of last year and a fair amount of crazy this year, we're really curious, how are how should we be thinking about uh, Q4 this holiday season? Yeah, it's it's a little uncertain. Um, I think if we, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think everybody has some uncertainties about what is going to be like, but I think if we look at some recent um, earnings reports that have been coming out, we've saw a really, we've been seeing a really strong kind of Q3 um, and summer shopping season for us. Back to school from all reports has been really strong for a lot of retailers. And so I think that consumers are ready to shop again. They're starting to get out and do more things despite all of the uncertainty that still surrounds, you know, the current state of our of the pandemic and everything. I think people are really willing to start shopping more and buying things. And so I think that when we're thinking about that, it's just a matter of being able to pivot and think about what kind of changes we might need to make and contingency plans going into the holiday season so that regardless of you know what happens we're able to meet the consumer in the moment that they're at when they're interacting with you as a brand and i don't know if um, the reports you're looking at have this kind of detail but do you know if a lot of the strong growth that we've seen in q3 is um you know, are are consumers returning into store or is it mostly online or combination thereof? From what I've seen, I think it's a combination. You know, I think last year there wasn't really a back to school season. And so as a parent, you know, I had to buy a lot more clothing for my kid for school this year just because you know, she went to school for about two days a week there at the beginning in the fall, especially last year. So we didn't need as many unique clothing options, but she's eight and she's in third grade and she wants more clothing options this year. So I had to go in store to do some of that shopping because I just didn't know her size and it's easier to have her try some things on. And so I think we're seeing a combination where parents and, and people are taking people into stores when they're feeling comfortable to gauge sizes or if their um, you know, home decor is still really strong. And so gauging, you know, will this couch fit in my space um, and kind of being able to see it in person, but then still we're seeing trends towards buying online um, just because frankly, it's easier for a lot of people. They can see it in person, they can do their thinking, and then they can just click and buy from their phone um, when they're ready to do it. And there's a lot of options associated with e-commerce that make it appealing. Um, You know, we've seen a big rise in third-party payment options like uh, Klarna, uh, where for a lot of younger consumers, they're more credit card adverse. They're less likely to explore a brand credit card, but they're very into tools that make it so that it's kind of like a credit card. So like 
upgraded layaway mm-hmm. where they can buy it now and then just make payments over time. And we're seeing that that's really appealing. And that is something that's, you know, kind of native to shopping online. That's such an interesting insight. Because mm-hmm. uh, I feel like a lot of my friends do use Klarna, but aren't, like you're saying, aren't interested in doing um, like a branded credit card or anything like that. And it's just the the brand trust and, and loyalty there is just really interesting. Yeah. And I think when we think about what makes a brand credit card appealing, I think it's when you know that you shop a lot from that brand or that family of brands. Mm-hmm. And so then the rewards would be appealing. But people aren't mm-hmm. right. as loyal like that. We especially saw during the pandemic, people explored a lot of new brands that they may not have known about or shopped at before because a, they were home and they were bored, and B, it became so much easier <laughs> to discover new brands. Um, and so I think that the appeal of the brand credit cards may have kind of slid down a little bit just because you're not buying your whole family's attire from one family of brands anymore. Yeah. So given how the pandemic's uh, progressed so far, how are we anticipating COVID impact um, playing out with the holiday season this year compared to last year as well? Um, I think a lot of the changes we saw in store will be maintained. I think we're starting to see more and more mask mandates being put into place. Whereas, you know, this summer we saw chances where if you were vaccinated, you didn't have to wear a mask. But if you weren't vaccinated, it was highly recommended to wear your mask. And we're starting to see, particularly in those areas where the Delta variant is really kind of high right now, um, more and more mask mandates being put into place, more uh, like space while shopping is being put into place so that we can kind of socially distance while we're doing that. And so I think we're going to still see a lot of those impacts. for a long term, you know, I mean, we've, I think the evidence has been shown that masks help with COVID, but they also help with, you know, cutting down the flu and the common cold. And that's lovely uh, to not have to worry about those as we head into the winter season if we wear a mask, I think. Uh, and so I think those kind of changes will continue to play. I also think that, you know, last year we saw advancements in digital technology at a pace at which we had never seen before. Um, I think it was like two years worth of advancements in, you know, six months. And so I think all of those advancements have drastically impacted just the way we as marketers approach the holiday season and the way that customers approach brands. And so it's very much a blended omni-channel experience. And I just I just see that playing out um, as we go into this holiday season and even into holiday seasons in the future, whereas people might have shopped store first in the past because it was like a fun holiday outing. I think they're still going to shop online first. But then as we approach um, shipping deadlines and all mm-hmm. of the issues we've had with shipping and the supply chain, I think we'll push people into stores closer to the actual gifting days at a rate which we may not have seen last year, just because people feel a little bit more comfortable going into stores this year than they did last year, and they still want to get their gifts on time. So that actually brings up another question of ours. What is the emphasis for retails retailers driving consumers into stores this year versus um, encouraging them to shop online? I mean, I know you've mentioned the... Uh, the shipping deadlines and supply chain issues, but how are retailers thinking about this from from what you've seen? Uh, You know, I think they're really thinking about it in terms of just omni-channel shopping. I think Mm. 
when they're thinking about pushing people into retail, it's, you know, for shopping deadlines like that or items that are in stock right now at the store near you, um, whereas they might be it take, might take longer to shop if you buy them online just because the distribution centers are um, overwhelmed. But if you go into your local store, you can pick it up today. Um, I think when we think about retailers and pushing towards the stores, where it happens and I think where the, the appeal is, is almost where you can offer something to your consumers in the store that they can't get online. Um, so where we've seen a big rise in clienteling and um, events almost in stores so that it's an experience going into the store versus just another shopping trip. And so I think if we see more of those this holiday season, it would kind of like validate my suspicion there um, and also would just make it more fun for people that want to go shop in store and um, help make it feel that that holiday specialness that uh, we didn't have last year and would be a reason to go into the store. It makes me wonder with the rise of in-store events again, is there a friction with that and the um, amount that we have people dropping out of the workforce, particularly in retail or like looking for positions that they have, you know, a $15 minimum wage or um, better offers? Um, are, are we seeing any friction between uh, those two factors? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, it's hard. It's hard to find workers right now. I think anytime I'm out and about, I see help wanted signs in almost every every store window. And so that will be, I think, something that people have to consider when they're thinking about if they're going to shop in store, do they have time maybe to wait in longer lines than they may want to or maybe used to just because there's not enough staff. Um, And so I think it'll be interesting. We see it play out a lot, especially in hospitality and restaurants um, and what that looks like. You know, I'm from a small town in Northwest Iowa and I went back for a couple weeks this summer and so many restaurants um, so it's a lake town, and so summer is like the the big season for them. And restaurants were closed one or two days of the week when I've never seen that before because they just don't have enough workers. And the workers they do have just they need a break. And so I think we're mm-hmm. there will be that tension associated with that this year. And so it'll be interesting, I think, to see kind of how that plays out because um, these retailers they need to have a really good holiday season, but they need workers to help support that. So. Um, I'm, I'm eager to see that one play out for sure. Last weekend, I went into a 7-Eleven for a hot dog. And uh, the there was a long line to check out. And the store employee was pushing their app where you can get like 10 times as many rewards points for the same purchase just by using the app to check out and like a self-checkout option. Um, so I know... You know, Amazon's been testing stores where you kind of like had this like automated checkout function for a couple of years now, I think. Um, but you're you're starting to see that like trickle down to all these other stores, probably fueled mm-hmm. a lot by that that worker shortage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, a big client of ours, they have their app is really awesome, and you can visit the warehouse and you can scan and go. So you scan the products as you add them to your cart, and then you just walk out of the store. Nice. You don't have to wait in line. <laughs> and so that was a a big like 
benefit for them. I think during the pandemic, when everyone was trying to reduce contact as much as possible. But then I think it's also very appealing as a member because you don't have to wait in the long line and you can um, kind of shop at your own pace in a way which you haven't been able to in the past. So I do see uh, things like that kind of becoming more and more common. Um, You know, we do see a lot more, you know, like, uh, tap to pay and mm-hmm. like Apple pay if you have an iPhone and everything and that that does speed up the transactions and so any if you have a bunch of transactions happening in your store one day and you're able to reduce the time at checkout by 10 seconds every transaction that's a big impact and it would help with that staffing shortage for sure yeah well that leads really well into my next question but um, how should advertisers be just thinking about loyalty this year um, knowing that it could be one of our, our last holiday seasons with the third-party cookie available, especially on Chrome. Um, we've had a, a few episodes so far about uh, cookie deprecation and, and loyalty to help support it, but specifically for holiday, anything that, that um, advertisers should keep in mind? Yeah, um, you know, it's interesting. We talk a lot about third-party cookies. Um, one of the things I think that's really impacting holiday retailers, especially this holiday season, is um, the changes coming with iOS 15 and the potential that, you know, email has always been the workhorse for retailers, especially during the holiday season. Uh, you know, I work with a lot of clients on their email programs and peak season is all it's all in on email and how many emails can we send and so over the past years we've gotten smarter about our emails and we do a lot more segmentation and think about what the best experience is for different customer groups um, to make sure we're giving them the information that they need and staying top of mind and top of inbox amongst the clutter that's there but you know, towing that very thin line between giving them all the information they need without making it too overwhelming. Um, It's a very thin line that we're always trying to balance. And so with iOS 15 coming, we're going to see impacts starting in September of people who don't allow us to track that you're opening your emails when you use that Apple Mail app. And Apple Mail is used in, you know, 50% of all email opens that happen worldwide. And so if we think about what that means, uh, you know, open rates are going to be inflated and people are going to have to rely on click activity more. And so I think all of that really plays into the overall conversation around as the third party cookie goes away and we have to figure out how to better target our customers, it all really does come down to loyalty. And what do we know about that customer and how can we use that to influence the message we're sending at the time we're sending in what channel we're sending it, the content, like all of the pieces that go into that conversation. And I think when we think about the holiday season and we talk about loyalty, people immediately think about what I would call like a capital L, capital P loyalty program. Like it has a name, you earn points, there's a structure to it, but it's, it doesn't have to be the capital L, capital P. It can just be loyalty as an, as a theme throughout what you're doing. And you don't have to have that branded program to take a lot of the structure and the philosophy of a loyalty program into how you're approaching everything. And so I think if you take, those approaches and think about what that means from an omni-channel shopping experience and from a consumer who is shopping for with you 
in multiple channels on multiple devices at many different times of the day um, and being able to kind of approach that with a viewpoint of like, hey, we, we know you, we've been able to identify you, um, you know that we know who you are across multiple channels. So let's have a more one to one conversation. Maybe it's not truly one to one, but close as close as you can get to one to one using that data. And then I think, in turn, as a brand, you're going to bring you're going to boost that loyalty that the consumer has for you. And you'll be able to start building up that first party data library, which will be so important with the deprecation of third party cookies. If you have that first party data or the zero party data and being able to pull all of that together um, into a better view of who your customer is and what kind of messages that they need to receive from you at that time. So zero party data is a new term for me. Can you give me some insight into what that is? Yeah, so that is, um, you know, first party data would be what we would consider data that they explicitly give to you. So like, I tell you that, um, you know, my name is Jen, I live in Kansas, and I shop these categories from you as a brand, like you can tell that from my transaction history. Zero party data would be information, maybe that's a little bit, um, like, less explicit almost in a way. Um, and so you can think about it like birthday. So your birth date can be first party data. Like, you know, my birthday is November 10th. And that's when you, you know, you use it for age gating if you need to age gate something or um, things like that. You can also use it in a way that informs other campaigns and it's more softer data in a way. So it's kind of a tough line between zero party and first party data, but really the zero party data is almost like more of a preference or an affinity towards things. Um, and so okay. if you have my birthday, you could also infer that I am a Scorpio. And so what would you maybe do with the in knowledge that I am a Scorpio if um, you have a company, if you happen to sell horoscope related items, you know, send me only Scorpio related pieces <laughs> of information. I haven't explicitly told you I'm a Scorpio, but you can infer that based on right. knowing my birth date. Got it. Okay. And perfect. When you reference like lowercase LP, like loyalty programs, uh, <laughs> can you can you give just a small example of an interaction you've had with a brand or that you see in the marketplace that would kind of illustrate what that looks like? Yeah. Um, you know, we work with a lot of retail clients on how we can take incremental moments and drive that incremental lift. So I think a really great op viewpoint with that would be um, like a first first time buyer. So oftentimes when you have a capital L, capital P loyalty program, there are incentives to make that first purchase or make that next purchase. And it's kind of built into like a points or tiering model within the program itself. But if you don't have that big branded program, you can still engender loyalty with those first time buyers by using it as an opportunity to say, hey, like, did they purchase the product that most people buy when they're first getting in charge of the product? Awesome. Let's tell them how other people use that program. Let's, you know, help motivate them to make that second purchase, whether it's, you know, buy this again because you're going to want to wear it every day and so just have two two pairs of these leggings on hand or is it you know hey you bought this great skirt here's a couple of blouses that match mm -hmm. it and so being able to take a lot of those 
moments and just build them in and do like micro segmentation, micro moments um, with that customer that you would normally see in a big program. And you're not rewarding them with like a points or tiering, but you are rewarding them for engaging and converting with you again. Got it. Okay. So switching gears a little bit, uh, are there any platforms or trends that advertisers should be considering uh, or taking into account when planning for the customer journey this year? Um, are there any trends that are standing out that are more important uh, to certain verticals than others? Just kind of open, open-ended question there. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the rise of social commerce is a really big trend that we're seeing. Um, I know mm-hmm. I, it, I've totally fallen a victim to that. <laughs> so I've discovered <laughs> a lot of products on social this year and I have bought directly within my social media accounts. Um, you know, Instagram in particular makes it very easy to make a purchase when you see a cool new product to you. And so I think that that's a really big component. Um, We have always known that the customer journey is not, it's not linear, it's not circular, it's like all over the place. And so I think the rise of social commerce has just introduced more elements to that journey planning, particularly when you think about a lot of those interactions do take place within kind of the walled gardens. And so it's hard even as a marketer to identify that, you know, I know who she is because she's on my email list, but, you know, she's looking at our ads on Instagram and, you know, or even just our feed on Instagram and she's buying products and, you know, and so you only find out when that transact, like that shipping notification comes in, but you don't necessarily know that I'm pausing and really looking at those ads and flipping through the carousels and everything. Um, And so I think that the rise of social commerce is just kind of disrupting what we think about when we think about a journey. Um, Spent a lot of time doing journey mapping exercises with clients and kind of thinking holistically about what that one-to-one experience should be for a customer. Um, And that's kind of disrupting things. I also think video, you know, we've always talked about video and where can we introduce movement and motion to our marketing. And I think that's just even bigger and bigger this year, especially with, you know, TikTok and all the other places that I'm maybe a little too old for. Uh, (laughs) People are discovering brands, um, just kind of making it more. Yeah. Never too old. (laughs) I've, I've definitely... I have read some articles around, especially on social, and I also have fallen victim to Mm -hmm. the Instagram products. Um, But in terms of just capitalizing on specific trends in the marketplace, especially like clothing trends, um, it's so interesting how, you know, you see something that an influencer is wearing and everyone wants that exact product or, you know, a specific product is highlighted on TikTok and it's like that individual product goes crazy until it's out of stock, but um, that we're not necessarily always seeing like spillover demand for, you know, if it was a black skirt, it's not like I'm wanting to go and find some other black skirt substitute. It was like that individual specific black skirt is the one that I wanted. So it's, it's just such a, an interesting departure from, you know, seeing something in a magazine and mm-hmm. like eventually finding your way towards something akin to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I've definitely felt that myself as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think back to how I used to shop and it'd be like, oh, I see this and I really like that, that specific product. But you know what? I have something some that's kind of similar in my closet so I could recreate the outfit 
just using that as inspiration. Whereas now I'm like, no, like I'm going to go find that exact, that exact product, <laughs> even though I have something similar to that um, already hanging in my closet because you just see it so many times. And that's another thing is like right. the repetition associated with these products that are taking off in um, social or on video platforms and everything. You just, you see them so often that it becomes ingrained in you and you don't accept any substitutes. So mm-hmm. it's hard. It's hard as a marketer. It's hard as a brand person uh, to kind of keep up with that. And you never know what's going, what's going to hit big. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Are there any final messaging tips or tricks that you think advertisers should be taking into account heading into heading into Q4? Yeah. Um, you know, one thing we've actually been talking a lot about just like in the last couple of days is all the contingencies that we need to plan for. And how do you make a call as a marketer on when you're going to adjust based on what's happening kind of in culture, in the news? You know, I think last year, the holiday season was really hard because we also had the election. It was such a heated election um, built in there. And so brands were having to really make a lot of contingency plans around, you know, if this happens, am I going to continue to run my paid campaigns? Am I going to continue to send emails? Or are we going to take a pause? Or are we going to shift our message? Um, And I think Mm -hmm. that that's still going to be a big trend for us this year. And even almost more on like a regional level, even, you know, so we've been talking a lot about with Hurricane Ida, when is it appropriate to send campaigns to individuals who live directly in the path of Hurricane Ida? And do we need to pause geographically targeted campaigns for that region? Because, you know, they're just worried about getting power back and getting back into their homes, you know? And so I think that that would be my one thing is to continue to lead with empathy as an advertiser or a marketer and being cognizant of where everyone is at and having all of those contingencies built into place so that you are achieving your goals, but also being sensitive to the consumer who's probably still feeling very overwhelmed <laughs> this season. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, Thank you so much for all of those trends. Um, That is it for this episode of Digital Marketing Musings. Huge thanks to our guest, Jen Horner, for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was really fun. Stay in touch and let us know what you want to hear about next by emailing us at digitalmarketingmusings at merkleinc.com. Also, if you've not already, please hit that subscribe button and rate and review us. It helps others find our show. Please tell a friend about the show. And until next time, I'm Andrea McCartney. And I'm Gaia Reed. Bye.